Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good afternoon, Stevens Creek. How you feeling? Good. Man, it's so good to see so many students. Can we give it up for the students, guys? Yeah. I'm glad y'all came to church. Um, you know, I, I didn't realize this was really a thing. Um, so for those of you who are at home uh, recuperating from the loss, there is a private prayer group in the chat. You can just click on that and we have a prayer room here if you made your way here. But we are so glad um, you are here. We've been in this transform series talking about changing our lives by changing the way we think. And last week we talked about emotions and this week we're going to talk about relationships. We're all in the fields today. We are going to really talk about how God can transform our relationships. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, turn or click with me to Genesis chapter three, starting at the sixth verse, Genesis chapter three, starting at the sixth verse. And it reads, so Eve ate some of the fruit. Then she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees. But God called out to Adam, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you coming and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam said, you gave me this woman and she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. We're going to get back to that. (laughs) Then God said to Eve, why did you do this? Eve replied, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So God said to Eve, because you disobeyed me, you'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain. Here's where it is, y'all. Great pain in childbirth. Sorry, ladies. And though you'll desire your husband, he's going to lord it over you. That's a good place to pray. Let's pray, (laughs) y'all. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you will say. We give you... Praise, honor, and glory. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So my dad was my best friend. Um, He was my best friend. I literally talked to him every day. But it was something that we grew into because if I'm honest, as a kid, I was very active. Every time my mother sees my son, she says, now you understand what we went through. I was very active and I like to toe that line a little bit. And one day my dad went to the store. We were home. I was about 12 years old. And one of the rules in the house was don't play ball in the house. And so like any good kid would do, as soon as my dad left, I started playing ball in the house. I started playing with it, me and my brother. And um, next thing I knew, I guess I threw it a little bit too hard. Um, To this day, we still don't understand. Um, But I threw it a little bit too hard and he missed it. And next thing I know, I didn't see it, but I heard something shatter. 
And in that moment was the moment I realized my daddy's going to kill me. I imagine Adam and Eve probably felt this exact same way in the moment that they bit into the fruit and their eyes were open. They realized something had changed. What I have done requires some consequence. But right before this moment, like me, Adam and Eve was probably living their best life. They had no worries, no cares. Everything was going well because they were living the life God has always intended for humanity. They were in close proximity with God and they were whole uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. You see, that last one we don't talk about much because the first four really uh, dive into us as an individual. But if you don't got the last one right, it can affect all of the rest of them. You see, in the beginning of uh, Genesis, uh, God begins to reveal to us his plan. And there's a couple of lessons that I want to show you from uh, before we get to our main text that I think is a vital foundation. The first is that we were not meant to do life alone. That relationships are an essential part of our existence. That we were not meant to live in isolation or just do things on our own. I know that society tells us that, you know, it's me, myself, and I. Thank you, Beyonce. I know they tell us all sorts of things that we should focus on ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, is that when God saw Adam by himself, he said, it is not good for him to be alone. Not from a romantic perspective, but he said, you need to walk this thing out with somebody who knows you, who understands you, who can help you. You carry your burden, someone you can share with, someone to help you navigate the challenges of life. It's not good for you to be alone. So I need you to be in relationship. It is an essential part of our existence. But not only that, the truth is at our core, we desire to be loved and accepted. And this experience happens best in relationships. That's why as a church, we, we push small groups so much. It's not that, hey, we just want you to be in a group so our numbers look good. It's because your life is at its best in the context of community. That that's the way God wired us to be in community with others. And so at our core... We desire to be loved and accepted, and I hope you love and accept yourself. I hope you said like I did this morning, you look good today when you looked in the mirror. But the truth of the matter is this love and acceptance, this experience does happen best in relationship. There are some of you here right now, you gained your confidence because a mom or a dad hugged you when you were growing up and said, you're going to be somebody that even though it didn't work out this time, you can hold your head up high. That love and acceptance was a fuel that helped you move forward in life. And at our core, this is really, it happens best in the context of relationships. But the truth of the matter is there are some risks to relationships. And we see the first one arise when uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 2 to 4, we see an outside influence show up to the story. And I want to warn you, be very careful who you allow to speak into your relationships. Whether it's your mother and son, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's a best friend, whatever it is, be very careful who you allow to speak into relationships. Because the truth is, relationships become unhealthy when they're affected by outside influences. 
They become unhealthy when they're affected by outside influences. This is where Eve messed up. This is where Adam messed up. God told them something and they were in relationship with God, but they let somebody outside of that relationship tell them who God was and what he really meant. And instead of verifying with God, is that what you said? They decided to believe the lie. And here's the danger. The enemy only tells a lie when it's almost true. He only whispers what seems to be good or what seems to be true, but he doesn't tell you the full perspective of it. He told them, you will be like God. What they didn't realize, what they were already like God. They were created in his image and they went for something that they already had. Being influenced by somebody on the outside corrupted their inside relationship. So be careful the voices you listen to because that crack, that schism in the relationship can grow and cause other things to show up. And I want to really spend some time here talking about facing the fears that sink relationships. And there are three fears that I think ruin relationships and the fear is really thinking about punishment. When I had that thought, my dad is going to kill me, I was thinking about the consequences of my actions. And in the book of John, it says this. It says, it is the thought of punishment, negative consequences, that makes a person fearful. You see, it was succumbing to the lie and realizing the actions that caused them to become fearful. Here's the three things real quick. The first is the fear of exposure. The fear of exposure. Y'all watch this in Genesis chapter 3, 7 and 8. Watch what happens. And if you're looking at your life, you probably have done this cycle one too many times. They suddenly felt shame. Oh, what I did was wrong. At their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves to cover up themselves then they hid from God among the trees their shame caused them to realize their action was wrong and then they tried to cover up what was wrong and can I can I tell you that God doesn't want you to fake it he wants you to face it he's not concerned with how other people see you he's concerned with you living an authentic life before him and so they tried to cover up and then they hid from God. This is a danger that we always make. We think when we mess up, we should move away from God. But that is the moment that we need to run to God. Because the only one who is the answer and the solution to our problem, the answer to where we have messed up is God. Amen. It's Jesus. And so Adam does this cycle. Adam and Eve does this cycle, but the truth of the matter is when we fear exposure, we become distant. And that fear of exposure is really a fear of rejection. There are relationships right now in this room that are ruined, not because people don't love each other, not because people don't care about each other, but because you are fearing exposure of who you really are and that fear has caused you to become distant. You're afraid that if they see who I really am, they won't love me. If they see who I really am, they won't accept me. And because you have this internal fear, you take a step back and put some distance between you. 
See, what they didn't realize is God already knew they had messed up and still kept his appointment and showed up. But they put some distance between them and God because they were afraid that he would reject them. If you saw who I really was, and many of us in this room right now struggle with that insecurity, struggle with that. There's something I, I walk through in my own life is if they knew who I really was, they wouldn't really like me. They wouldn't really accept me. They wouldn't really care for me. Here's the second fear that we see in this text, and it is the fear of disapproval. Fear of disapproval. And see, feeling disapproved or feeling like we're disapproved leads us to become defensive. It makes us on guard. It makes us defend ourselves and challenge. Look, look at this. I told you we was going to get back here, right? God asks, did you eat what I told you not to eat? Adam answered, y'all be careful. You don't need no friend. We're going to talk about this a little later, students, but don't have no friend like Adam. Adam answered, you gave me this woman and she gave me the fruit. Here's what, here's what Adam is saying. This one's not on me, God. I just happened to be at this place at this time and this just happened. You the one who created her, God. And then you, you put her in front of me. And she's the one that gave it to me. I'm innocent of this, Lord. We do this sometimes in relationships. It's so easy to point out what everybody else has done wrong instead of taking ownership of where we have fallen short. It cripples relationships. Instead of trying to hear the other side, we are ready with a defense and an answer. Ready to say, what we think is the right thing, what we think is uh, makes us look the best and makes us look right. And Adam, the struggle with Adam is that he missed the opportunity for God to make him whole and re reconcile him by placing blame on others. Look at this. When we become defensive, when I'm defensive, I make excuses, I place blame on others and ultimately pass on my responsibility. The scripture says that Adam was there when Eve ate and she gave him the fruit and he ate it too. If he would have taken up responsibility, taken ownership, he could have spoken then. He only had an issue when there was a consequence involved. And here's the challenge. And this is what I see all throughout scripture. God can handle your issues. What he doesn't like to deal with is your excuses. Hey, God can say, uh, if you say, Lord, I messed up, I did this, that, and the other, and Lord, even last night, you should have seen me. God, I did this, help me, I confess. He can handle that. The challenge for God is your excuses. You see, excuses help keep Adam out of the garden. Excuses causes Moses to miss the promised land. Excuses kicked Saul off of the throne, but it was confession that kept David restored and allowed David to recover. Hear me. 
It is okay to take responsibility and ownership for what you have done because that is the moment God's grace can step in and reconcile and fix what has happened. But when you try to do it on your own, you will mess it up. But if you surrender it to God, God will change it and fix it and restore. In fact, he says it like this. I will give you beauty for your ashes. The thing you burnt down, I will rebuild and put it back together. The places you have broken, I will mend and put it back together but you've got to take ownership and responsibility for your part in the problem this is a problem for Adam this is a struggle that we have sometimes I, I love it because after Adam said it Eve participated too she was like I ain't got as much excuses as him but look the serpent he did this so I ate it Take ownership. Take responsibility. Your bad decision does not have to become your final destination. But if you don't take ownership of it, God can't uh, uh, re-put you on a different path to restore that which has been broken. Here's the third thing, the third fear. And it's the fear of losing control. Now, we don't see this explicitly walked out in Scripture, but we see the beginning of uh, what I call the battle of the sexes. And see, when I fear losing control, I become demanding. I want my way. Uh, There used to be a commercial, it's my money and I want it now. I don't even remember who did it. But it's J.P. Wentworth. Call 877 right now? Yeah, that thing. When I lose control, I become demanding. Here's something else I learned. So you, secure people don't need to have their way all the time. It's normally people with insecurity that have to have it their way. And that insecurity is a, a missing place of security in their life. And because I don't have control, it reveals that. Here's the second part. My demand to have my way reveals a level of insecurity blocking our way. Let me say that again. My demand, singular, to have my way, singular, reveals a level of insecurity blocking our way, plural. Whenever you're in relationship and you put yourself first, you already stunt the growth of that relationship. There's a principle called reciprocity. It's a good SAT word, right? Reciprocity. It means there is an equality between what I'm putting in and what I'm getting out. That there is a dual exchange and a, a, re, a receiving of what we're putting in and what we're getting out. It is taking both parties into consideration and viewing things as us. Look at what Genesis 3 and 16 says. It says, you'll have yearning for your husband, but he will lord it over you. It's where the battle of the sexes begin. This is where, instead of complimenting each other, we're competing with each other. Instead of working with each other, 
we're working fighting against each other. Here's what the next verse says. And he will dominate you. That's another version of it. And so we're wrestling for control. We're wrestling to be in charge. We're wrestling to try to make sure that we have things our way, the way we desire it. And the truth of the matter is, it blocks us from moving forward. We can't move forward if me is the focus. And it it doesn't matter what relationship you're talking about. And right now, there are fathers and sons and mothers and daughters frustrated with each other because you both think you have the way forward and you're putting yourself forward instead of coming to to the table and say, how do we move forward together? Well, you don't know what they did. You don't know what happened. I don't. But as long as me is the focus... We can't move forward. If I could sum this up here, two truths about relationships is that relationships lived out from a place of fear will die. And we get fooled sometimes because they thrive for a little bit. Oh my gosh, they're my best friend and it just shoots up. But if it's lived out from a place of insecurity, of a place of control, of a place of demands, whatever your fears are, it will eventually choke that relationship out and die. But the truth is, relationships lived out from a place of love will thrive. Mutual love and affection, those relationships will thrive. And you say, preacher, how, how do I get rid of this? How do I change this? What do I do? Here's the antidote. The antidote to our fear, to getting over that, is learning to live in God's love. Learning to live in God's love. This is the antidote to our fear. You know, um, a few months ago, I was uh, coming into my garage and um, it was nighttime and I came out and I saw what looked like a dragon and a horse had a baby. I think y'all call it palmetto bugs. <laughs> it's the biggest thing I've ever seen. Back home, we, we can't even call that a roach. I ain't never seen nothing that big before. But I got, uh, I'm going to say I manned up, but really I had a panic attack and I grabbed um, our leaf blower and I said, I'm going to drive them things out. Little did I know, y'all didn't tell me this, that these things fly. And so I became the wind beneath their wings. And I, I, I just made the problem worse. And I'm seeing these things fly. Here, here, here's what I did wrong, y'all. I used the wrong tool to drive out the situation. And how often do we do that? I'm going to lean on my success and that will drive away my insecurities. I'm going to lean on these other things that I have and I'm going to use all of these other things to help make me feel whole, help make me feel safe. And here's the truth of the matter. All of those are insufficient when compared to the glory of God's love. All of them are insufficient compared to the matchlessness of God and what he wants to do in our lives. His love is greater than whatever you try to compensate with. And until you lean on his love it's never going to be fixed you got to lean into his love embrace that which he has given us 
Here's what scripture says in 1 John 4 and 18. It says, wherever God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out all fear. It drives it out. It pushes it away. It removes the barriers and the obstacles out of the way. So here's what we got to do. If we want to see a change in our relationships, if we want to see a change in the way we navigate our relationships, whether it's a family member, it's a best friend, it's a spouse, whatever that relationship is, we got to first, every day, surrender. We got to surrender our hearts. Surrender our hearts, our minds to God, our actions to God. This is what Job's friend said to him in Job 11 and 13. It says, surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Why? Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. Then you will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. You got to surrender. God, I can't handle it. This is yours. There's a scripture um, in Isaiah, the King Hezekiah, when he got this bad report, he went to the, the house of the Lord and he laid out the letter and said, God, this is your mail. I am your child, and this person is threatening someone who belongs to you. I surrender it to you. God, you handle this. And that's what we got to do with the places in our life. We got to surrender that to God. God, I can't do it in myself, but I surrender this to you. And here's what I want y'all to stop doing. Stop saying you surrender it to God and uh, still pacing that night. That's still yours. If you surrender it to God, go to sleep and rest. Relax. Because if, you, if God is who you say he is, it's already handled. It's already secure. He will take care of it. Here's the second thing that I want you to do. Every day, remember. It's a few things that we need to remember. Remind ourselves of. Because those outside voices, those outside influences sometimes will cause us to think differently. First thing you need to remember is that I'm totally accepted. Yes, you and your quirks and your weirdness and the things you probably don't like about yourselves and the things you feel insecure about. God says, I accept you. I accept who you are. This is what scripture says. It says, Jesus makes us acceptable to God. Here's the key point to to remember about your acceptability. It's not what you have done. It's not about you. It's about what Christ has done. Because of Jesus, I'm acceptable. Because of who he is, God sees me as okay and approved. And that does not mean God doesn't want you to grow. He wants you to take your next step. He wants to continue to mature you and develop you. But... This is what it means, and the perfect picture of this is the prodigal son. It means that in your dirty state, in your messed up state, in your filthy state, God is not going to wait for you to get clean in order to receive you and love you. He will hug you right where you are and walk with you as you get better and become who he has always intended for you to be. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Is that I'm unconditionally loved. 
period. Let me help translate something for you uh, because a lot of times we hear that word love, I love you, used too usely or um, freely. People really don't mean that. If I could translate this, what they mean is I like the way you make me feel. And if you make me feel differently, then I'm going to feel differently about you. But that's not how God works. God is, I love you, period. Regardless of what you do, regardless of what you've said, regardless of what has happened or will happen, I love you. He says, I'm not a man that I should lie. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I'm constant. I'm consistent. I'm not going to change. In Isaiah 54, he says, my love for you will never end, says the Lord. His love for you is unconditional. So when you feel unlovable, he already loves you. When you feel the whispers of rejection coming to your ears, he says he already accepts you. Here's the third one, is that I'm forgiven. Whatever you've done, there is grace and forgiveness at the cross. That Jesus paid for it. In Ephesians, he says, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that I have planned long ago. Before you said yes to him, he had a plan for your life. Even if you haven't said yes yet, he has a plan for you. I'm totally forgiven. This is what Romans 8 and 1 says. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no more judgment. There's no more shame. It's no more fear because of the forgiveness that Christ has given us. In fact, he says, I have thrown your sins in a sea of forgetfulness. Stop hanging on to what God has let go. Here's the fourth thing is that I'm considered extremely valuable. Don't believe the lie that you are worthless. Don't believe the lie that says you don't matter. You matter to God. And he says, you are extremely valuable. When it came time to save you, the only thing that could do it was God's very best. It was his son, Jesus. This is what Paul writes about this. He says, you have been bought and paid for by Christ's death. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's God's plan all along that you know that you are accepted and you got to remind yourself every day, I'm accepted. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm forgiven. And I'm considered valuable. And here's... The next step, and this is where it transitions from internal work to external work, is every day offer love. Every single day. Even when people are unlovable, even when they cut you off in traffic, 
even when they skip the line, even when they get on your nerves, every day offer love. Even when they've broken your heart, even when they've gone a different way. Here's what Jesus said. He said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now this one is hard. It's one of them horse pills, you know, you crush and put it in applesauce and eat it. Because you can't swallow it by itself. You take it bit by bit. It's a challenge to offer people love with no strings attached. To believe the best in people. But if you want to see a transformation in your relationship, it starts with loving people. Expressing that love. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. And love never gives up. And I know there are some people in here who are wrestling with their relationships. Their marriage is on the rocks. There are uh, parents and children upset with each other. Best friends who haven't talked in a while. But let me tell you, God can restore those relationships. Scripture says that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. To put a bridge where there's been a gap. To put back together things that have been broken. And this is what God wants to do in our relationships. The thing you thought was dead. The thing you thought was over. It's coming back. The thing you gave up hope for. I've came to remind you today. To believe again. To reach out again, to offer love again, because God wants to do something special. And maybe for you, everything is fine. But the one relationship that needs to be fixed is your relationship with God. That you need a personal relationship with Jesus. And today can be your day. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today in this moment that you have given us. Thank you for speaking to us about our relationships. God, help us to resist the fear of exposure and becoming distant. To resist the fear of disapproval and become defensive. And to resist the fear of losing control and become demanding. Help us to rest in your love. To receive the fact that we are accepted, loved, forgiven, and considered valuable. I pray God today that you would begin to restore relationships. That you would mend broken places. And right now, God, we come against every lie of the enemy that says you are not worth it. We come against every outside voice in the name of the Lord Jesus. We silence every voice that comes against our marriages, that come against our families, God. And today is the day we say no longer. Enough is enough. Jesus is Lord here. And he has power over everything. 
God, for the person who has not said yes to you before, let today be that day. Let them say yes to you. And pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus, save me. Change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. And God, we anticipate the reports of reconciliation. We are excited about relationships being mended today. Challenge us to reach out. Challenge us to go forward. Challenge us to take that step of faith knowing that you are going to help us face these fears and overcome them and restore the relationships back to where they were supposed to be. We give you the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray and every believer say amen. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.